The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Over the Monster podcast. This is the third episode of this iteration of the podcast with myself, Matt Collins, and joined, as I have been the last two weeks, and will be going forward, by Brian Joyner. Brian, what's going on? It is St. Patrick's Day for the people listening to this. Not for us, but for the people in the future. So happy Thanksgiving. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Mm, Happy is a strong word. As a curmudgeon, as a curmudgeon, also is just a is a uh, casual drinker. I don't need St. Patrick's Day to to drink my Guinness. I'll I'll do it whenever I want. However, I, used, I do respect our drinkers today. I used to get uh, presents on St. Patrick's Day when I was a kid. St. Patrick's Day is a Semi big deal in my family. Although we also, I hope my mom's not listening to this. We also had a boiled dinner every year on St. Patrick's Day, which is the absolute worst meal I've ever eaten, and we ate it every single year. Um, so that is, I have some mixed feelings about St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. It's not great. I really, I well, feel it, like my mom's probably listening to this too. So sorry, mom. It does dovetail with the drinking. So yeah, but I couldn't drink when I was like twelve. So. No, you didn't drink. All right, I, I guess I yeah, I guess I could. I physically could, but yeah, I did not. Um, but yeah, anyway, so St. Patrick's Day, that's a thing. Um, also a thing, the Red Sox have a new part owner. LeBron James has bought a small portion of the, or he's taken a stake in the small portion of the Fenway Sports Group. Um, which obviously owns the Red Sox along with Liverpool and some other stuff. So LeBron James, part owner of the Boston Red Sox. This is this is a big day in Red Sox history. I think that if anything, this shows the Red Sox might be on a, a more progressive tack than similar teams because I think that the movement toward having multiple owners in these giant conglomerates is going to continue. Um, and you could do a lot worse than LeBron. I mean, that, LeBron rules. I know Celtics fans don't like LeBron, but I mean, I'm a Celtics fan, but I love LeBron. He's just the absolute best. Yeah, of course. And he, uh, like, I don't care that he wears Yankees hats. I don't care about any of that stuff. 
um, no, me either. He's, uh, you know, he's one of like the ten most relevant athletes of my life. So yeah, only, I mean, I, oh. he's, he's probably not going to do much. The Red Sox, but it's still pretty cool. Um, it's probably a bigger deal, although I don't really know the implications of this. Uh, but they also got a $750 million investment from something called Redbird Capital Partners. Um, anytime people start talking about big business and these just very fake amount of money, amounts of money, $750 million, it's not a real amount of money. I don't, it just, it's totally meaningless, but, uh, I feel like that means something. I don't know if it means something good or if it means something bad, or if maybe John Henry and company might be, looking for a way out or for a smaller controlling portion of the Red Sox. I don't know, but that's probably the more important part, but the LeBron part is definitely more fun. Yeah. I mean, anytime you hear capital partners, you know, something is up and that's, that's just baseball now with like venture capitalists. Well, I mean, and the Red Sox were itching to go public. I mean, I think that John Henry and co just want to, make more money on their investment and that would involve selling off portions of it um, to the point of going public and selling off huge portions of it and just cashing checks. That seems to be the way they're going. Um, Excuse me, LeBron being an owner, he's probably more of a real owner than Jay-Z was of the Nets uh, for an example. Do you think so? I don't think so. I I feel like he's Patrick Mahomes. No. I I mean, I think that he's going to be more... Maybe after he retires. No, I I don't mean actively. I just mean with the money involved. Oh, oh, oh. Jay-Z's money with the Nets was almost nothing, but it was was strictly so that he... Right, and so that Jay-Z could... Like be a figurehead for the Nets, which I do not think is going to happen with LeBron, which is why I think yeah, that no, I his his investment is is more of an actual investment. Yeah, I think you're I think you're probably right about that. Um, and um, your Jeff Passan noted that uh, for obvious reasons, the NBA players can't own basketball teams, even the WNBA. So it makes sense that he would look to. Uh, Look to buy portions of other sports. Apparently, he already owned two uh, percent of Liverpool, which I didn't know. I'm not really. Well, that's guy. why I wasn't. Well, that's why I wasn't surprised because that's the same ownership group as the Red Sox. So yeah, that I knew obviously. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's LeBron James. Um, everybody made the same joke about him already owning the Celtics. Um, it was two percent funny the first time. It went downhill since then. Um, so if anybody's no, still thinking about making that joke, it's over. I think it's pretty funny, honestly. Well, because you don't really like just because no, I right exactly, and I I find that self basket blogging is just the easiest shooting fish in a barrel at the basket bloggers, and I just want to hit those fish. That's well, it. that's kind of rude. Uh, but I feel the same way about Patriots fans the last couple of days. But anyway. Uh, let's move on. How dare you? <laughs> I'm actually kind of psyched about it, but still, I just I like. Well, it, fun of I fans. have to say that today, Hunter Henry is the day you get excited. The previous stuff 
was all just sort of filling the roster. But this is a Red Sox podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it for the Patriots podcast. Uh, the other little bit of news. Um, this was a little bit older, but things still keep kind of creeping out about it. Uh, kind of a weird situation. I still don't know a whole lot of details, but Danny Santana has a foot. I wrote foot inspection. I meant foot infection. Um, not entirely sure how that happened, but it's, he's been in the hospital for a few days. He's going to be there for at least a couple more days. Um, doesn't seem like it's anything like crazy serious. Like he's not going to have his foot amputated or anything like that. Uh, but still pretty crazy to be in the hospital for a few days with a foot in- infection. Um, and in terms of the Red Sox, uh, Santana was expected to come in and sort of fight amongst Michael Chavis and Yairo Munoz for the utility man, sort of next man up on the depth chart, which is coming into play now with Franchi Cordero missing the season. Uh, Santana is definitely not going to be ready for the start of the season. Uh, I don't know when he's going to be ready. Cora just keeps saying it's going to be a while, which I don't know if that means it's going to be a few weeks, it's going to be a few months. What's going on there? But Santana's out of the picture right now, which leaves us with Michael Chavis and Yairo Munoz uh, for that last spot, presumably, at least. And uh, both of them are having nice springs, but Chavis certainly seems like he's the guy. I mean, he's getting the playing time, he's getting the starts, and he's just going buck wild with all of his opportunities. Wait, did you just say Franchi Cordero is going to miss the season? I'm at the. Did I say the season? I'm at the start of the season. As in the entire. Okay. No, no, no. I, I just. Terrifying. I, no, um, sorry. I must have misspoke. I didn't even notice I said that. No, he's. I. I don't think he's going to miss more than a couple weeks right now. But he won't be ready for the start of the season. Is what I meant to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean. I I sort of chalked this up. I mean, this could be sh- short-term problems, but I feel like by mid-May, which admittedly is two months from now, um, it'll seem like ancient history. I yeah, uh, that's, a, that's since I don't sense. have huge hopes. Well, yeah, but if you have huge hopes for a team, you could look at that and say, "Well, that that's a." huge portion to miss and every game counts, but I, I just don't feel that way this year. Um, so it is what it is. And yes, it'll, it'll give Chavis some opportunities and God knows the guy needs them. I don't put any stock into what he's doing this spring. So we will see what happens when the game start for real. Yeah. I put a little, I always struggle with this. I put a little bit of stock into it just in the sense that he was very clearly like not confident last season. It seemed like the struggles kind of snowballed. So I think like to put it in basketball terms, since we were talking about LeBron, when guys go into a shooting slump, sometimes you just need to see that one shot go through the hoop and then you can start feeling again. I think sometimes for baseball players, Spring training, it's not really the performance, but sometimes you just need to put the barrel on the ball a few times and remember that you are capable of putting the barrel on the ball sometimes. So I think 
in that sense, I'm excited about Chavis. I don't think he's going to hit as well as he is in spring, obviously, but I think he should at least have some of that confidence carrying himself over into April, um, which I think could be big for him. I mean, I've invoked Jeff Van Gundy on this pod, so I don't. Yeah. So I love the the basketball reference. The only difference that I'd note here is that in basketball, you are throwing a ball toward a hoop that doesn't move. Um, and in spring training, pitchers are throwing to you. Pitchers who are still getting up to speed um, are throwing to you. So in the regular season in basketball, uh, the hoop is still going to be there. Whereas in baseball, the pitches you're hitting are almost not by definition going to be the same ones you're hitting in the regular season. Now I hope you're right, but I just don't have the confidence that it's going to carry over as well. But then again, not, you know, there's not that many people who get the, the have the talent to even make it this far and get the chance to have more chances and the more you do, the the uh, the longer you hang in there, the more time you have to pick something up. So we will see when the games really start if he's picked something up. And for him, obviously, Franchi being out is a just opens up uh, the opportunity to do more. So if I was a Michael Chavis stan or if I was Michael Chavis, I'd be very happy about this. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been on the higher end of Chavis, so I would expect that I'm probably a little more confident than other people. I, I wouldn't really say I'm necessarily super confident though. I guess I'm just, I guess I'm more wishful thinking than anything else. If I'm being honest, I kind of, I mean, I just really like Michael Chavis as a dude too. Um, he's just like the kind of guy. You just that's like the pretty picture after he got his first hit. Let's just, just say it. No, my favorite Michael Chavis picture is the one uh, from last year when he, I forget who it was, but um, someone robbed a home run, not even off Chavis, off somebody else. I don't remember who hit it, uh, but Nesson like, panned over to the dugout, and Michael Chavis was standing outside of the dugout flipping the guy off. That is my favorite Michael Chavis picture. That's pretty good. It's it's funny to me that we need Michael Chavis to be Bobby Dahlbeck, and we need Bobby Dahlbeck to be Tristan Cassis. Like, that's that's... We need each of them to play up a little bit. Yeah, um, to play up to the next to the next level. Um, I think Chavis and Dahlbeck are fairly similar. I guess Dahl- I think Dahlbeck's better. I don't think the gap is as big as probably everybody else. Does. I think Dahlbeck has considerably more power. Um, I think so too, but I think I'm a little more confident in Chavis making contact. Um, and so I think that closes. Sure, sure. Yeah, yes, I, I, I agree with you on that. But Dahlbeck is just is just going to go far every time. I mean, I hope they all make it because there are children. So <laughs> I like to keep <laughs> well, our children weird. around. Sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, as far as the Danny Santana thing goes, just to put a bow on that a little bit, um, he was another one of those super utility guys who could play all over the place. I don't really think his loss has a major effect on the infield depth. I mean, they still have Chavis and Munoz, and then they have Jonathan Arauz, uh, Chad De La Guerra, who's a guy that I think is somebody that 
people should know a little bit better, and I think he could play a little bit of a role this year as depth. Uh, but I do think he hurts the outfield depth a little bit more. Uh, I thought that was probably where his value is more. And I think to the point you were making, I don't remember if this was last week, I think it was two weeks ago, about Duran being up. Um, I don't think this means Duran will be up to start the season or anything like that, but I think if there is an injury to, say, Alex Verdugo early in the season, and that would be a spot where Danny Santana would come up because he could play center field, they don't really have another option in the minors, in the high minors for that. It would be Cesar Pueyo or Michael Geddes. I don't know um, that they really feel comfortable with that. So I think in a weird sort of convoluted way, Danny Santana may under the right circumstances, his um, foot issue may actually open the door for an earlier call up for Duran. I think a very specific set of circumstances has to happen for that uh, to actually come true. But um, I think that makes it a little bit easier for you to be right about the Duran being called up early. Well, I mean, my feeling in Duran being called up early was, uh, Potentially at the beginning of the season, but more likely after that service time nonsense passed. But I do think that uh, given the Red Sox competitive issues this year, it would not surprise me if, you know, if Verdugo got hurt early and they needed outfielders, they went to like Geddes instead because um, he's not an ironclad part of the team for the next X number of years, like Duran is. However, if it happened in two weeks, then I would agree with you and expect to see Duran come up. Um, You know, they just, they don't have a ton. They don't have a ton of players for these positions. They're, they're counting on positional flexibility a lot, but you still need the bodies and the bodies are a little bit in short supply right now. Gotta hope the bodies don't hit the floor. Gotta hope the bodies don't hit the floor. Uh, a little bit, the most frustrating thing to me about the whole center field situation, and it's, I mean, I say frustrating, it's not that frustrating, but it, it, it annoys me a little bit. I, their best center fielder to me is Kike Hernandez, and he's their second baseman. And that, that sort of just bugs me a little bit. But I am very much convinced that he is their best center fielder. Defensively, well, at least. Um, well, it's not like there were any good center fielders on the free agent market, so no, especially not any with connections to Boston that nope. everybody loved. Total, and total loss there. So that could have been had for very cheap and was on the market all year. Good times. I do, yeah, I mean, I do have to say that, and I've tweeted some stuff. I mean, JBJ is a National Leaguer at heart, um, so I'm. I feel like what do you mean? What does that mean? It means he's not the heaviest hitting guy. He's a field first oh. center center fielder. It just it just has always it doesn't always strike me as a national league because he's been on the Red Sox, so he seemed very Red Sox. But when it came down to him having a sort of a choice of where to go, the National League seemed much more likely to me than the American League. And that's where he ended up. And now we have a second baseman playing center field sometimes. No, we have a center fielder playing second base. <laughs> but to be fair, Kike Hernandez is also a very good second baseman. He's just very good wherever you put him. 
He's a real um, neat. He's a real neat guy. I mean, this is what all the Dodgers so, fans said. To, he's so much fun. Him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, I don't think there will ever be another Brock Holt, but he definitely brings very similar vibes. Both. In well, the he's better than he's better than himself. Brock Holt too. He's better player. Uh right now, peak Brock Holt was pretty good, man. Um. Peak no, Brock I'm Holt pretty sure KK is. Than... I'm pretty sure KK is better. That's peak, nothing... I mean, Peak Brock Holt was a better hitter than KK Hernandez. Without a yeah, but how long are you talking about? Three weeks. Nah, peak talk... He had he had multiple seasons where he was at least a league average hitter. We're we're not disrespecting Brock Holt on allegories. I'm not all star dis- all star never... Brock Holt. How many all star would... games? I would never disrespect Brock Holt. However, I think they are very, I think Hernandez is definitely a better defensive player. I think Holt was a better offensive player. Um, They probably even out to roughly the same value, I think. Okay. I mean, I don't know it in detail enough to argue any further. I love arguing though, but I just can't. It's all, I mean, there's also definitely some bias in favor of Brock Holt just because. He's Brock Holt, and that is just something impossible to shake. But to the point that we were both making, um, Kike Hernandez brings that same sort of fun energy, even even tossing aside anything to do with what he does on the field. I mean, he does good things on the field, but he's just an extremely fun and likable human being, too. So yes. I think he's, I, by the end of the year, he's going to be one of, if not the biggest fan favorite on the team. Yeah, I mean, in a way that Marwin is not, and Marwin does a lot of the same things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Nothing against Marwin. I mean, I. it's very clear what the Red Sox are doing with these multiple uh, position players. But uh, I'm I'm excited for Kike. I, you know, I love you, Brock. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was a little, that was a little upsetting to me. Uh, all right, so we're going to do... Um, we're going to do a draft for this episode. Um, I was struggling to think of things to talk about. And whenever that happens, I usually just default to some sort of draft. And today, uh, we are going to draft the players we think are most important for the upcoming season for the Red Sox. Uh, not necessarily the best players, but the players whose performances are most important. Uh, we're each going to pick five players and uh, we'll let, we'll let the older man go first. I'm still in my twenties for another 10 days. So I was going to ask who was older, but that definitively answered it. Um, well, you, I, you didn't specify as clearly in the email that it wasn't just the best players. Um, well, it could be the best players. I mean, that's well, an important thing. For my first pick, I'm going to take Xander Bogarts because I think that he, as as he goes, it's not as he goes, the team goes because he's been very good and the team has not been good at times. However, if the team is going to be, he's a, um, he's a necessary but not sufficient condition to the Red Sox being uh, competitive. Um, him alone is not going to do much. But they're not going to do much without him. So I, I would, and this is partially because you convinced me a couple weeks ago that he is by far their best player. 
so uh, are most valuable. So I'm just going to take Xander straight off and uh, leave the the rest of the field to you. I I think that's a good pick. I didn't have him number one, but I think I think you make a good point. Um, to make another cross sport analogy, um, it's sort of like a quarterback in football. You can't, you don't just need a quarterback to be a good team, but you need a quarterback in in baseball you need you don't just need your best player but you need your best player to be good and yeah Xander Bogarts is definitely their best player Um, it's incredibly timely for a region that just signed a quarterback that people were not high on but then signed a million different players to go with that quarterback and it looks totally different I was actually thinking about the um, Bears today that's Ooh, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, sorry I had to think about the Bears. <laughs> I follow a weird number of Bears fans on Twitter. Um, and they signed, did they sign? Dalton, I think. They did, yes. Uh, but yeah, Bogarts, I think, makes sense um, for all of those reasons. I had him fifth on my list, so I had him a little bit further down. Um, but it certainly makes sense because he's the best player. Uh, but number one on my list and my pick... Um, I go with Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, I think the Red Sox season, not to be oversimplistic, but it basically comes down to what they get out of their rotation. Um, Their offense isn't like 2018-level crazy elite, but their offense is good. They're going to score runs. Um, It's just a matter of getting good starting pitching, and Rodriguez is the guy in the rotation that is most likely to sort of transcend into to an, into that all-star level performance. And if they can get somebody like that to head the rotation, at least until like mid July when Chris Sale is hopefully back and feeling good again, that can make, that is the clearest path to this team being better than both you and I expect them to be. And, um, yeah, I just think as much as I love Nate Evaldi, as much as I think Garrett Richards has that potential um, to be very good, Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, has the highest ceiling and is the most likely to reach it. So, um, yeah, I think he's the most important guy on this roster. He's also the only guy who could maybe challenge Trey Mancini for comeback player of the year. And I mean that totally totally straightforward. Um yeah, I, I think that's Mancini's to lose, but it, well, no, it's definitely Mancini's to lose. But he could—he's an Oriole; he could lose it. Um, <laughs> I, I have, uh, you know, I, you—we're on the same page here. I have a, a bunch of pitchers in a block, and I have Erod at the top of it. Um, I mean, it would—if he put together an awesome year, it would be the highlight of the season. Um, it, I mean, it would just—it would be as great as. It would be like Lester. I mean, it would be a lot like Lester uh, coming back and being really wonderful um, after his cancer treatment. And uh, And especially with Rodriguez, um, Rodriguez is a free agent after the season. So just, I mean, just for him, both coming back from the COVID and the myocarditis and then hopefully being able to parlay that into a giant payday. I mean, who the hell knows what next off season is going to look like with the CBA, but um, hopefully that doesn't interfere. That's a nice, that is just a nice all around story that 
everybody's going to be rooting for. All right. Um, it's not a snake draft, right? I'm up next again. No, you can go. Yeah. I mean, and it's very boring because I did it sort of top down. I'll, I'll pick Raphael Devers, um, who I think is the second best player on the team. It's weird. I didn't rank J.D. Martinez at all. Um, really? Uh, well, I realize now that that might be uh, might have been uh, a problem. But uh, as we talked about in a couple weeks ago, and who's the MVP of the team, um, you were saying that Devers' deficiencies uh, specifically in the field probably kept him a little bit below Xander. Um, I do think that we agreed that they were the two best choices. So yes. strictly in a who are the best picks, I I just had him number two for that reason. I think Devers is obviously important because he is, like you said, the second best player on the team. Um, arguably has a higher ceiling offensively than Xander. I'm not totally sure. I believe that. I think he's a flashier but, ceiling, I think is the best yeah, way he's, to, is a better way to put it. Yeah, I mean everything he does is everything he does is either flashy or hilarious. Um which either one is good with me. The way when he swings and misses on a big swing and then smacks himself in the head, um it's it's impossible to be mad at that guy. Um but as far as his importance this season, I think this is a huge season for him and the team. But I think it, in terms of importance, it might be more important on a longer term or like a medium term basis, and that's strictly to do with his defense. Um, I kind of think this is the last straw year for him at third base. Um, if he has another bad year at third base where he just is making error after error and mistake after mistake... I think it, it, if that happens at the end of the season, you need to start thinking about moving him. And then you don't really have many places you can move him. First base would make the most sense, but well, you have Bobby Dahlbeck and you have Tristan Casas. But Bobby out. Dahlbeck is, but Bobby Dahlbeck and Tristan Casas are both third basemen, at least to some Casas is not a well. third baseman. Dahlbeck could move over, although um, I think his third base defense is overstated a little bit. Um, but that Cassis could work. was Cassis a third is... baseman at some point. Yeah, he got drafted as a third baseman, but he's he can't he's too he's, he's not too happening big. here. It's not gonna happen. It's like I mean Michael Chavis was drafted as a shortstop. He's not playing shortstop. It's um it's and Casas should not concentrate on anything other than hitting and he plays very good first base. But the point is they they all of a sudden would have a log jam there. If JD Martinez doesn't opt out, then they can't just slide somebody into DH. Um, they can make it work, and with Devers' bat, obviously they will make it work. I mean, there is where there's a will, there's a way, and there will be a will. Um, but things are just things would just be a lot easier if he proves he can stay at third base. And I think, as I've said, he has the tools, he has the ability to stick at third base. So I think if we're talking about importance, and he's twenty four, what's most important? For you know, him. He's yeah, he's not... super young. He is he is very young, but still, I the mean, the die has not been cast. But if he's bad again after the season, I really don't think I can. Just speaking for myself, I don't think I could give him any more leeway defensively 
Um, at a certain point, you just are what you are. You generally don't get better defensively as you get older. Um, so I think they would potentially try to make it work, but I just I wouldn't really feel comfortable with it. Well, it's your but, pick. Yeah, I, he's um, he's my he's my he's my cross the bear now. It's your pick. Um, I actually had you didn't have JD Martinez on your list at all. Um, I had him number two. I think I that's think... that's way more accurate than not having him on your list at all. <laughs> yeah, not having him on the list is pretty wild. Um, I yeah, think I, I think... just forgot about him. Like honestly, it just he seems. It's possible. He hasn't really done anything this spring. I really haven't heard his name at all. He's been um, in the lineup and Yeah, like, he's been in the lineup. And he hasn't been like he hasn't been so bad that it stood out how bad he's been, and he also hasn't been so good that it stood out. He's just kind of been there. I feel like Christian Vasquez has had a similar kind of spring. Um Yeah, but he plays but I, catcher, and that's totally different. I mean, I feel like that's yeah. uh it's not a knock on Vasquez to say that. It's a little bit of a knock on JD Martinez. A little bit. Um, but I do think, yeah, I mean, I think this offense, the difference between this offense being pretty good and being great kind of comes down to what they get from J.D. Martinez. Um, I feel like, I don't know if I just want to be optimistic and that's why I'm optimistic, because there is a part of my brain that is extremely worried about J.D. Martinez after last season, um, and mainly because of the way he looked against fastballs, and that is just always scary when you're talking about an aging hitter. If they can't, if they all of a sudden can't catch up to fastballs, that is a scary thing. But at the same time, obviously, 2020 was weird. J.D. Martinez didn't have the video. Blah blah blah. All the stuff we've heard again. I keep going back and forth on what I actually expect from him, but I think I'm extremely confident in Bogart's endeavors. I'm pretty confident in Verdugo. I'm very confident in Verdugo being good. I have a little optimism that he can be very good. Um, I think Vasquez can be good. But I think they, if they want to be a great offense, and they kind of need to be a great offense if they're going to contend for a wild card this year, they need J.D. Martinez. They don't need him to be 2018 best hitter on the planet, but they need him to be at least... 2019 where he's putting up like a 130 WRC plus that needs to be like the minimum performance for him. And um, if they don't get that, then I don't think anything else really matters unless the pitching just stays way healthier than I think they will. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I guess my thing with JD Martinez is I sort of, you know, forget contract specs, forget everything. After 2018, um, if he doesn't have it anymore, I, I don't really hold it against him. Um, I mean, I won't be mad at the guy. I just mean in terms of if they're winning or losing. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's and that's the thought exercise. And to the same uh, point, my next pick would be Verdugo for the exact same reason. Um, uh, also, to piggyback on what you were saying about outfield, I mean, he's play, been playing center field. If if he's going to be their main center fielder, which it sort of seems like he is going to be, um, just judging by what they've done in the first, you know, two weeks of two and a half weeks of spring, uh, as you say, they need to be a great offense to have a chance, and he is a good hitter. 
Um, and then on top of that, if he can play decent center field, he would be a huge part uh, toward making the Red Sox a viable uh, postseason contender this year. I'm curious what you think about, I don't know if you saw the Alex Cora um, quote from, I think it was from last week. He's asked about outfield defense in Fenway. I'm very curious to hear if you agree with this or not. Uh, he said that right field defense was more important than center field defense at Fenway. Do you think that's true? I mean, I think that that's been the operating principle for a long time. Uh, Has or, it? Or it's oh, the operating principle, I think, has been it, it, that it's it. they are relatively similar. Yes. Um, and I, then I think that's you, a different thing than saying right field is more important, though. Yes, but I also feel like that is a saying it at one point in time is could be construed as politicking. Um, and it has always seemed to me that the center field and right fielders have sort of worked in concert to cover that area. And that left field is just, you know, you cover that tiny area and center field and right field figured out amongst themselves. I mean, there's a reason. JBJ played center field and he was obviously the best defensive. That's what I, that was the point I was going to make. And I mean, part of it is Mookie Betts is also very good. Um, obviously, uh, also one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball, but yeah, I mean, if they actually thought he that, still is, right by field. the way, he still is. Yeah. He's but still... I'm saying like when, when Jackie and him were playing next to each other, if they actually felt that way, I still feel like they would have put Jackie Bradley. I don't know. That was just a quote that made me think that we're sort of underrating how hard center field at Fenway is. It is an extremely difficult center field. It has like all of the stuff with right field. It doesn't have the weird corner, but it has the triangle. And also you have to know how to play the monster. Um, I don't know. It was a weird quote that I was just curious to get your opinion on. Um, I mean, it was I think probably that, politicking a little bit. I think it's politicking a little bit, and it's just also drawing attention to differences between Fenway and other parks, um, by way of making a comparison between right field and center field. I mean, certainly in Fenway, right field is about fifteen times harder than it is in Yankee Stadium. You know, oh, yeah, I, Yankee Stadium. They put JD Martinez in right field, right? Uh, totally because just know about their right field. The pop flies are going into the Jeffrey, Mayer but they have zone. a decently big left field. It's not as big as Fenway's right field, obviously, but they have their left fields get a little bit of ground. Um, but yeah, I am back to your back to what we were talking about uh, with Verdugo. Um, I do think that makes a lot of sense. I'm very. I'm very interested in how they're going to use Verdugo both defensively um, and also in the lineup. It also seems crazy to me that he's not going to bat leadoff and that they are really committing to Kike Hernandez in the leadoff spot. Um, well, didn't Cor- really like Cora it. said Cora said that he was challenging Kike, but he also said that he, Verdugo was going to bat second. So it doesn't seem like the challenge is all that genuine. Um, well, I guess my bigger issue there, and this is the thing that I really try not to harp on too much because I think people way overrate how important batting order is, but I just feel like this Red Sox lineup is 
it just seems so obvious to me that you want Verdugo, Bogart, Stevers, and Martinez as your top four hitters, whatever order you want to put them in. Um, and putting Hernandez in that group seems weird, but Hernandez is also taken to that challenge. Uh, but I mean, as far as Cora saying it, uh, he's when managers say the same thing over and over in that type of way in spring training, it basically just means to me that it's going to happen. I don't, I don't know that it's going to happen all year, but I would, I would be surprised if Hernandez is not leading off most days. Yeah, me too. April. And and what get just getting back to the outfield thing, uh, I think that part of what Cora is saying is trying to. Um, even out the idea, and it's a true idea, that the center field is sort of the captain of the outfield. And I think that part of what he's saying is that, you know, in Fenway, that's sort of co-captains. Uh, it, it's, it's balancing the scales a little bit from the natural order of things. Uh, at least that's the way I I see yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that that does make a lot of sense. It has been it has been their philosophy for ever basically is that you need two center fielders and it's i mean it's absolutely true and it kind of hurt them this offseason because there were a lot of good corner outfielders but there weren't a lot of good corner outfielders that you could put at right field at fenway which um, obviously is how you end up with uh probably hunter a decent amount of yeah, Hunter Renfro is probably going to play a decent amount of center field this year too, which is pretty weird to me. Well, he's um, a great but... slot receiver, so you know he's he's got lots of. <laughs> Isn't he a tight end? No, he's a he's slot a receiver. End. He's a slot receiver. He's yeah. like uh, he's like Edelman or Welker. Oh, uh, I don't know. All right, let's move on. Um, your your so Edward Dugo. So I'm going back to the rotation. Uh, I'm going to go with Garrett Richards. Ooh, um, okay, good. So Richards, I have over Evaldi, just barely. And I don't. Is, so you know my next. Well, that pick. is. Yeah, I kind of figured um, they would be the next two. I I think Evaldi is a better pitcher than Richards. Um, I think I'm probably pretty close to the high guy on Evaldi at this point. I think he's outstanding. Um, so I think that Rodriguez is the clear number one. I think Evaldi is the clear number two. And then that makes Richards the clear number three. And I'm pretty confident in Rodriguez and Evaldi uh, being good. I'm less confident in Richards, and part of that is just less familiarity. But I think if they can get him, tossing aside the health, because obviously that is the biggest key, but I mean, what am I going to add to that? We all know the injury history, whatever happens is going to happen. But when he's on the mound, if he can pitch well, if he can pitch to like a low four, ERA, um, all of a sudden, this rotation, I mean, it's not up there with the best rotations of baseball, but it is serviceable, at least in the top three. Um, he kind of seems like, if, if you're as confident as I am in Rodriguez and Evaldi, Richards is sort of the key between this just being a top-heavy rotation and this actually being like a legitimately solid one. I think that the difference is that I'm not as confident in Nivaldi, but I do. Yeah, I think that's fair. I definitely agree with you that if Erod, Evaldi, and Richards are good, that is like that is the path to being. To yeah, the that Red is Sox the key. Banker. That is basically the that trio is basically the key to the entire season. And I just picked Evaldi ahead of Richards because 
I think I'm sort of baking in injury concern. I mean, look, they both get they've both been hurt plenty, but I, I think uh, you both, I think you have to bake an injury concern for both of them. Right? Yeah, no, I definitely. But I just I am expecting more from Evaldi, so I just I put him higher. But I mean, they're they're like they're very similar in in the abstract uh, guys. Um, these hard throwing righties who have been hurt a decent amount, but I just think that. Uh, I just have higher hopes from Rivaldi, probably just because he's been here longer and has shown shown some stuff. Uh, so it could go either way, but that's that's who definitely I would take next. Um, but now we're getting into the nitty gritty with who you take next. What is this? Your fourth? This is your fourth? Uh, yeah, that is my one, two. This You've is had three. This will be your fourth. This is where it gets fun. Yeah, so I'm going back and forth between two guys. I'm going to go with Tanner Houck. That's a good one. Yeah, Tanner Houck is super interesting. I have no idea what they're planning with him. But I am not expecting a whole hell of a lot from Nick Pavetta. Um, He has impressed me a little bit this spring, but I'm really trying not to buy into that. I know too many Phillies fans to bite hard on Pavetta. I've seen too many people get hurt. Um, so I'm kind of assuming Pavetta is either out of the, off the roster, at least out of the rotation by like mid-May. And that just opens up a path for Hauk. And I mean, to just go back to what we've been talking about, this rotation is the key to the whole team. And if they can find a way to put together a good, solid group of starting pitchers, that is going to change everything. And Hauk is beyond those top three. Hauk has the upside to be that sort of not an ace. That is not who Tanner Hauk is. He's not the guy that we saw last year, but he he can be a very solid um, number four major league starter. If they get that out of him and they get those other three guys, um, I mean, this is like rosturbation to the max. This is everything going perfectly, but. This is a, all of a sudden, this is like an above average rotation. So I think how kind of has the potential, but there, I mean, there's a ton of concern there. I'm not necessarily betting on it, but he has the potential to take this rotation to um, a level that I don't think anybody's really expecting. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing before this podcast. I was thinking about the pitchers like, wait a minute. They have, they got options. Like they have, they could put together something good here. Uh, if the health uh, stands It's up. all about the health. I like I the mean, talent in the rotation, generally speaking. It's just I don't expect and to, some to degree, be there. To some degree, this is – if the other SB Nation sites are running podcasts similarly, it's, it's all about the health. Yes, it's all about the health of your pitchers. Yeah. Yes, so like, I, think, I think it's fair to say it's that's even more so for the Red Sox. Maybe, yes. I'm, maybe I am. They have Nate Evaldi and Garrett Richards, of course. Yeah, exactly. Like, they had a guy coming back from – COVID and myocarditis. So, I mean, they have, yeah. And they have their best pitcher had Tommy John. Like it's, yeah. yes. Yeah. It, like I agree with all of that. I, I love that pick. I love that pick. Um, my last Thanks. pick I think would be just Bobby D Bobby Dahlbeck and uh, how, how well he's able to just hit the pardon my French fucking ball over the wall. 
Like, if he's like, what, what, what are you? Are you, uh, are you a guy who hits 30 home runs and bats 260? I mean, that's probably what you are. Um, or are you worse than that? That would be, that would be amazing. But I feel like that's okay. Maybe not this year, but I do feel like that is where he's headed. I mean, I just, I don't get the sense, uh, he's going to be hitting a lot of slap singles. Let's put it that it's way. It's the 260. I think that. I'm not exactly. The 30 home runs I can see. I think he's more 230, 240. 230, 240. That's fine. That's fine. I feel like the, the, the funny part is the difference between 230 and 260 is what? Like five hits to drop in. Maybe 10. <laughs> I think it's a few more than five. It's like 10. It's literally like 10. But uh, I think I think 260 is like the league average batting average at this point. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't expect that. So yeah, 230, 240. But that's my point, I think, to some degree. If he if he just got a little lucky or was a little bit better and were to be league average with the batting or, uh, average, um, he will be, a, you know, a, a, a forceful contributor. I mean, he'd probably be, at least in the running for rookie of the year, for sure. Um, that, I mean, that would transform the lineup if they can get that kind of production from the bottom half. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of questions about the top half, but there's plenty of questions about the bottom half. Yeah, it might be a um, little bit aggressive, but I mean, tw- even 20 home runs, which I don't think is out of the question because the, that's all the guy does. Fangraphs has them projected for 28. Okay, so I was... so <laughs> 227 so. average, um, 28 homers. I mean, that sounds exactly right, frankly. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's... I've always thought of him as Mark Reynolds, who was like a decade before his time. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds about right. That sounds perfect. Um, um, all right, so you get right, one more. My last pick, I think you're going to like this one, too. If you like Toke, I think you're going to like this one. Um, I almost went with Matt Barnes just because I wanted to say Matt Barnes. But it, <laughs> was imp- it was implied. Too. It was implied. You um, don't need to pick him. I'm going Chris Sale. Woo! Oh, uh, um, that that was the next one. I actually jumped Dahlbeck over Sale just to. Did you? Yeah. I was deciding between Sale and Hulk. Um Yeah, Sale is sort of. Sale Sale can either is either going to be extremely important, or nothing's going to matter. Um, it it sort of he his season sort of depends on the rest of the team. Uh, if they're out of it. By July, when he comes back, it doesn't really matter. They'll ease him in. They'll give him a million rehab starts. They might pitch him out of the bullpen a little bit. Um, it'll just be about. It'll just be a really long spring training to get ready for 2022. But if they're 500, if they're within five games of that second wild card and Sales ready to come back, um, first of all, the team is gonna want him to come back, and they'll give him the runway to do what he wants to do and also chris sale is chris sale and he's just gonna go bananas he's gonna be all psyched up um and yeah i mean it's it's I like mean, it's so such ma- god so many of the best players in baseball are just psychopaths i mean so many yeah, of them are just I, psychopaths and he's one of them and sale is very much that um but i mean it's it's such a cliche in pretty much every sport uh leading up to the trade deadline if you have a guy coming back from an injury oh that guy's like your great trade acquisition and if the red sox are in it i would hope that they would have a better or would have a trade acquisition too but chris sale is sort of that 
great trade acquisition that you can get at the beginning, hopefully at the beginning of July. We don't really know his timetable yet. I'm sort of just been thinking July-ish, um, early July, first couple weeks of July. If they can get him in that rotation and they are within punching distance of a playoff spot, I mean, that he is the whole season, basically, because we've been talking about the rotation and hoping that Gordo Rodriguez steps up, hoping the other guys stay healthy. Well, if they get some semblance of that, and then all of a sudden they get Chris Sale at the top of the rotation, I mean, things are totally transformed. So um, it's hard to put him as most important because he's going to miss at least half the season. But if they're in a position when he comes back, he he becomes the most important. Yeah, I mean, he 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 might not be a closer, but he would be the closer in that sense. He would be the season. He was the closer in 2018, too. Yes, so. yes, he was. All right, so that was the draft. I probably should have kept track so we could go through it. Um, but we had uh, Bogarts, Rodriguez, Devers, Martinez, Verdugo. Is that yes. your third pick? Yes. Verdugo, um, Richards. I forget you picked. Evaldi. Evaldi. Hauk. Thalbeck, Sale. Those are our 10 most important players. Um, I did have Barnes 10th on my list, by the way. But I did not have Thalbeck on there. But everybody else I had on there. Uh, but yeah, so let's... I think uh, let's do is s- more, more important than Barnes if you're trying to throw some shit, I think. My, uh, my Barnes argument was going to be that he's... Even if they're bad, they need him to be good so they can trade him at the deadline fair. I mean, that, that I definitely package. do. Uh, let's do some lesser questions and then get out of here. Uh, first one comes from Socks Junkie. Uh, he's asking about uh, Franchi Cardero's defense. Um, asking where do they think? Where do we think he's going to play most? Um, I think he's going to play left field mostly. Um, he's played some center and some right, but I think they have Verdugo and Renfro there. I think they really want Cordero to focus on making contact in the plate at the plate I yeah i feel that. like we covered, defense i feel like we covered this in our outfield discussion yeah i think so too um but yeah cordero i think it's all about the offense uh josh asks can the covid robots pitch out of the bullpen do you see those robot things at fenway i did not they have like robot i i didn't read it i didn't read the article i don't know exactly how this works is it a vaccination some... site or are these baseball things? No, they're putting it for baseball as like a sanitary thing. I think it had something to do with UV. I don't really know um, exactly what's going on, but it seems like it's not. It seems like one of those theatrical things that doesn't actually do anything, but they put up there anyways. Uh, but no, they cannot pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, a great big lark asks what do you see as the best case and worst case scenario for the bullpen this year um i don't really know how to i mean it's a articulate it i feel like it's a bullpen the best case (laughs) and worst case scenario are pretty much implied i i guess their ceiling is probably a little bit lower than maybe like the top bullpens i as much as i like barnes they don't really have 
Like they don't I have like, like the peak too. Yankees. Like, on. Yeah, I like Ottavino too, but they don't have like I like their top two options. They don't really have those like the great bullpens. Like the Yankees bullpens the last few years had like five or six guys. The Rays have like twelve guys every year. Um, they don't really have that kind of depth where you have a handful of guys that you can that you're excited about late in games. But I mean, they can be an above average bullpen, I think, or they could be one of the worst in the league. I can see it going. Yeah, they're way. not going to be one of the best. That's what we know. Yeah, yeah. I think their ceiling is probably somewhere like around tenth, somewhere around like the third. All right, last question uh, from Andrew Voyer uh, asking if LeBron can play center field. I'm going to ask, what position would LeBron play? I think there's only one answer here. Um, I mean, people his size are typically uh, pitchers. Uh, yes, that's what I was so I'm going to go with pitch. I mean, you could be a first baseman maybe, or if you're like an O'Neill Cruz fan, you could be a shortstop. But uh, yeah, he'd be a pitcher. Aaron Judge plays right field. That's true. That's true. But Aaron uh, Judge is... But no, I, yeah. I think, I think he's a pitcher. Could you imagine LeBron James on a pitcher's mound? I, mean, I have no idea what he can throw like, but I think if you gave him like a month to work on throwing, he could probably be pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm yeah, still, that would be I, about as intimidating as it gets on a pitcher's mound. I mean, he he would. It, there's been the cross sport stuff with LeBron a lot. I mean, I, and the easiest uh, answer, and it's true, is tight end. That dude would just be yeah. incredible. Not like the Patriots need another tight end. They got two, <laughs> baby. Uh, all right, we've talked about as much about the Patriots as the Red Sox on this podcast, so that means it's probably time to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please uh, give us a rating and a review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please tell your family. Please tell your strangers. Please tell your neighbors uh, to listen to us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Brian is at Brian Joiner. Brian with a Y, Joiner with an I. I got it this time. I'd love um, to hear it. And you can also read our writing at OverTheMonster.com. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>